Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Ouroboros Cycle, Part 5 In the last part, we looked at the first half of The Way It Ends, a grand tale featuring a small, exceptionally talented team of Chaos Insurgency agents taking down each of the SCP Foundation overseers, one by one. They started with 0513, severing the contract that the overseers had with death, providing them immortality, and swept through the list. Seven of the thirteen overseers are now dead, but while dealing with 057, the team lost a crucial member, Anthony, who revealed himself to originally be Vincent Arians, the former cohort of Aaron Siegel. In flashbacks, we've been seeing how Siegel and Arians defected from the Foundation to start the Chaos Insurgency, but now we know that Siegel eventually went back to the Foundation to become 051 once again. In this final part of my miniseries, we'll see how Calvin and his team deal with the rest of the Overseers, culminating in their encounter with 051. 056 is known as the American, a former general that fought in the American Civil War named Rufus King. Somehow, he extended his life prior to ever drinking from the Fountain of Youth, making him by far the oldest current member of the Council. He currently has an office in the Pentagon with the title Special Counsel to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and many military leaders believe his authority is second only to the President, while some believe he supersedes it. It's believed that 056 formed the first mobile task force, Alpha-1, Red Right Hand, in order to hunt down members of the insurgency. Not a very subtle man at all, Agent Yu writes that they once witnessed him opening a beer with a whip, then using that whip to grab the beer from across the room and finish it in a single swallow. In a flashback, we once again see Siegel and Arians discussing the Foundation and their mobilization to deal with the Broken God in Mexico. Thirty years have now passed after the death of the Administrator. Siegel is still incredulous that the Foundation is up and running after their defection, and he wonders who is left in charge there that could be running things so smoothly. He also ponders who among the Foundation staff would be even able to access Site-01. The two are interrupted by their door opening and Sophia Light entering, a woman that had previously had a relationship with Siegel, but didn't defect with him. Sophia explains that she read the note that Siegel had sent to the current 0513, a note that we read at the end of the children document. Sophia admits that although they've been telling everyone in the Foundation that things are still under control, they are actually scattered and leaderless. None of the current overseers are actually doing anything, and she doesn't know who's actually running things. That's not to say that nothing is being done, but instead, orders are coming from someone located within Site-01. 
and they have no idea who it is. For a while they thought it was Siegel, and then they thought it might be the administrator, but now they really have no idea. They found an entire new wing built onto a site, and SCP-173 is residing there, but they didn't put it there, and they have no records of it being put there. New facilities are being built, more doctors and researchers are being recruited, and even the mobilization to deal with the broken god was all performed without their command. Somebody within Site-01 is making calls, and their commands are being followed. Sophia wants Siegel and Arians to go with her to Site-01, and Siegel agrees, as long as she understands that they plan to kill whomever is in there. Before they leave, Sophia confronts Siegel on his defection, saying that even though he killed the administrator because he was supposedly the source of anomalies, why are more and more anomalies popping up? She asks that he make sure he's going to do what he wants, and to consider what Arians wants as well. The present timeline picks up right after the death of 057, as the crew is fleeing the chaos in Cambodia. They drove overnight until reaching a small inn, where Calvin meets with another agent of the insurgency, revealed to be one of the Delta Command, Kowalski. Kowalski informs Calvin that the American is nearby, and he's the one responsible for sending jets to carpet bomb the town while they were dealing with Green. The American brought an entire army division with him, along with naval and air support. Kowalski heavily warns Calvin about the situation, suggesting they flee and go after the American some other time. He also mentions that a secure container was brought out of Site-19 and placed on the American's ship, most likely as a secret weapon. Kowalski finishes by saying that they are outnumbered at least 3,000 to 1 by an army trained in hunting people down, led by a man who believes that he single-handedly created the most powerful military in the world. Kowalski says that Calvin doesn't win here by being smart, but instead by forcing the American to do something stupid. The team gets back in their jeep and continues driving in order to put some distance between them and the army while they think, and they eventually find a secluded spot near some mountains where they spend the night. In the morning, they notice a drone in the sky, and they get back in their jeep. As they drive off, a tank comes out of the nearby trees, and they narrowly avoid an explosive death. They hear more tanks behind them, along with helicopters and jets overhead, They eventually are forced out of the jungle into the open, and a helicopter opens fire on them. Olivia pulls out a scoped rifle and asks Calvin to stop. She proceeds to take aim and snipes the pilot, claiming that although she used to be an artist, she's been doing this longer. They continue on. Olivia takes out another helicopter, and their jeep approaches a section of badlands between them and the mountains. In front of them, however, are hundreds of military vehicles, with helicopters above them and tanks behind them. A personnel carrier opens up, and a man steps out, wearing a wide-brimmed hat, a brown jacket, jeans, and boots. The American. Adam suggests that they just drive over to him and improvise, which Calvin approves of. Calvin alone gets out and walks over to 056, who introduces himself as Rufus King. 
He says that he's not here as an overseer, but instead as an American citizen, and his priorities lie first and foremost in America's security. His association with the Foundation has allowed him to strengthen the security of his nation, and he's hoping to keep that situation going for a long time. He's not happy that Calvin broke their contract with death, but he's willing to deal with Calvin despite that. In exchange for letting them go, he wants the spear. Calvin doesn't really understand why they would want it, so Rufus explains. They first found the spear in the grasp of some ancient king, and they spent a great number of lives to get it out due to it being cursed. He doesn't know where it came from originally either, but he does know that it was the spear that a Roman soldier used to kill Jesus Christ. He's not sure how the soldier got a hold of it either, but he says it was the only thing capable of killing him, as it's capable of killing gods. The Foundation is not prepared to deal with an attack by some sort of deific entity, such as Jehovah, Cthulhu, or the Flying Spaghetti Monster, in his words. But the spear could get the job done. If Calvin gives it up, he can go on doing whatever it is he's doing, including killing overseers. Calvin reminds him that that includes him, and the American laughs and says he won't stop him trying to kill him as long as he hands it over. Of course, Calvin says that he cannot, which the American expected, so to give him a sporting chance, he's going to let him run. He shows a large steel crate carried by a helicopter, and says that there's something nasty in there that they've been trying to kill for years and he's going to open it and point it in Calvin's direction. Whether the thing in the box gets them or his army, he's going to have the spear when this is done. Calvin heads back to the jeep, and they drive into the Badlands. While driving, Calvin reveals how he got a hold of the spear. When he was younger, he went on a walk with his mother through the countryside, and they came across a lake. His mother turned and said that she recognized someone in the lake, and she proceeded to enter the water and disappear. Calvin saw hundreds of bodies in the lake and followed his mother in, seeing her smile at him as she sank. He fought through the bodies for hours before getting out of the lake, and nobody would believe him about what happened. He went back to the lake recently, not finding any bodies in the water, and he was approached by someone that he barely remembers, like the voice of a person superimposed over a ghost. This entity offered Calvin a choice, taking him back to the moment when his mother was about to enter the lake. Calvin was forced to choose between saving his mother or taking the container that held a weapon that could destroy the foundation. He chose the spear, and realized that he had always had the container, ever since that day at the lake. The entity approaches him again and gave him the two vials of fountain water as well. Calvin also reveals that he stole Agent Yu's journal from Marshall of Marshall, Carter, and Dark by punching the old man in the face and running off with it. A few hours later, Adam tells the others that the mountain village he grew up in is nearby, and he might have a plan if the American is cocky and stupid enough to march his army up the mountain. They head to the village with the army in pursuit and find it empty, save for one old man. The man's skin seemed redder than normal, 
and his face and body bulged in certain areas. Adam asks the man where everyone else is, and the man replies that they are all still here, around us, because the sickness came for them. He says his ascension has nearly arrived as he begins crawling towards them. Adam explains that when he was younger, people here started getting sick with no explanation and no functioning cure, and as they got more sick, they began to change. Eventually, the Foundation arrived to clean it out. He's interrupted as O5-6 and his army arrives in the village, led by a massive, chained lizard creature, SCP-682. He says that he's got two problems here, and he intends to leave with only one, implying he plans to use the spear to kill 682. The American is whipping the lizard to keep it moving, and eventually it begins charging towards Calvin's team. It's stopped, however, by the old man, standing in the middle of the road. The lizard opens its mouth in disgust and asks what this filth is, and the old man extends his arms and exclaims that he has ascended. His body proceeds to split open and expand, becoming an SCP-610 entity. It lets out a horrible cry, which is joined by many similar sounds coming from the rocks around them. What follows is a full SCP-610 attack, as all of the village people that had been infected were simply lying dormant in the mountains around the village. The Americans' army division is hopelessly outmatched and unprepared for this, lacking any incendiary weapons. Massive 610 entities begin flinging some of the army's trucks and personnel carriers, destroying a helicopter in the process. Calvin's team sprint towards an empty Humvee and begin driving it out of the village when they come to the main square. Here, the old man turned flesh entity is battling the lizard, while the American is riding on the lizard's back. His hat has been knocked off, his shirt is ripped and soaked with blood, and he's racked by fury and bloodlust. Olivia takes out a rifle and fires a shot at him, but he deflects the bullet with his whip. Yes, we've gone full anime now. She shoots again, but he deflects the second shot as well. Third time is the charm, however, as he narrowly misses the third bullet, and it sinks into his heart. O-5-6 dies in shock and disbelief, and a throng of 610 entities rip apart both the American and the lizard. Eight down, five to go. SCP-682's bones collapse into dust, but a tiny lizard crawls out of the pile, shoots a dirty look at Calvin's crew, and scurries off. As the team drives away from the village, they discuss their next target, who Olivia says is known as Blackbird. The journal says that he just has a way of showing up, and suddenly Calvin slams on the brakes as a small man is standing in front of their vehicle. He wishes them a good evening, and says that he hears they are going to soon be looking for him. 055 Blackbird is described by Agent Yu as jovial, friendly, outgoing, and remarkably personable, unique traits among the Overseer Council. Despite this, there are some inconsistencies, as although Blackbird doesn't seem to care for all of the secrecy of the Foundation, 
He's the head of the department in charge of maintaining records on all the different groups of interest known to the Foundation. Additionally, some sources believe that Blackbird suffers from a multiple personality disorder. And there's a story going around that says, when the Chaos Insurgency came across a strange red disc, SCP-093, they used it to go to an alternate dimension that had suffered some sort of religious doomsday. They had found a document in that dimension detailing certain high-ranking members of the religious governing body, and Blackbird was pictured, plain as day. It's also said that one of the staff members rescued from the alternate Site-13, featured in SCP-1730, pointed out Blackbird as a member of the GOC in their world. He apparently takes a special interest in any anomalies that interact with other dimensions. The flashback this time focuses on Calvin's team, sitting in a motel room, with Anthony still alive. Anthony discusses the original defection, the kingdom of Abaddon, and the creation of the children. He says that, while making the children, they did something truly heinous, and he's half convinced that the overseers later made a deal with death just to avoid the fires of hell they're all now destined for. He goes on to say that the administrator had fooled them, and the whole endeavor was a lie just so the administrator could see if they could create an anomaly instead of discovering them. In the end, those that stayed believed that the children were a net good, that the ends justified the means, and they had created a safer world. Those that defected believed they had done something unspeakable, and the foundation was rotten to its core. Since the Foundation was much more decentralized then, the defection didn't cause the end of the Foundation, but now the overseers are the lifeblood of the organization. Additionally, Anthony tells them that underneath almost every Foundation facility is a nuclear device, but at Site-01, there is a system in place that allows a person to detonate all of them simultaneously. This is their plan. In the present, Calvin's team steps out of the vehicle and cautiously approaches the man in the road, who raises his empty hands. He takes a bow and introduces himself as Mortimer J. Denning von Kronecker, the fifth overseer. He says that he came here to meet them, as he's seen many impressive things throughout his life, but has never met anyone who has killed eight overseers. Olivia asks why he came here if he knows they're trying to kill him, and he laughs it off saying that, unfortunately for both of them, killing him isn't going to work. He is willing to demonstrate, asking them to shoot him in the forehead. Calvin and Olivia hesitate, suspecting a trick, so Blackbird pulls out a knife and jams it into his head. He collapses, as expected, blood spurting out, but then the road is illuminated by a purple light. The light pulses twice, there's a distant snapping sound, and the smell of ozone, and then Blackbird appears before them, unharmed. He says that he's anomalous, of course, like most of the overseers, and he offers to show them what he can do and tell them where he's from. They begin following him, and they notice the sky changing, becoming a deep, rich purple. The landscape begins changing as well, into a cobblestone street in a city they don't recognize. The sky changes again into a sullen gray, and it begins drizzling. He says that this is where he's from, London, 
the last city on Earth. In this world, the Black Death hit very hard, and a fellow came along who told everyone he had a cure, but it wasn't exactly the plague he was curing. In Calvin's world, the SCP Foundation has this individual contained, as SCP-049, of course. But he's much different in this world. In time, every city eventually fell until London was the only one left. He explains that he can step between different realities at will, and when he was younger, living in this cursed world, he dreamed of living in a happier place. He began hearing a voice from another reality, which turned out to be an alternate reality version of himself, and he followed it. The multiple versions of himself began seeking out other versions of himself until they had gathered all of them, and they unified into a single entity. Now, when one version of him dies, another steps in to take its place. He also says that there's another person out there like him, named Allison. I've only mentioned this character once before in my Serpent's Hand video, as she commonly goes by the title of the Black Queen said to be the daughter of Dr. Gears. It's said that there are thousands of Black Queens, which corroborates what Blackbird is saying. The two have a deal going, where she keeps him informed of things, and he shows up anytime she needs a little muscle. Blackbird understands what they're doing, but he doesn't want it to happen, because he doesn't want to risk losing touch with all the different versions of himself. To try and dissuade them, He offers them a way out, but assures them it's a legitimate one, not like the deals the other overseers offered. In front of them are three doors, and in standing in front of each door are three identical men. Realizing that they weren't going to get anywhere by shooting him, they each stepped through a door. Adam wakes up in a comfortable room, the small fireplace burning, and something delicious cooking in the next room. Blackbird appears and tells him he's in Portland, Oregon, as his family briefly stayed here when he was younger. They had been seeking asylum here, but they were denied, leading them to the mountain village. But in this world, they were successfully granted asylum. In this world, his parents are still alive, living in Los Angeles, but he stayed here because it felt like home. He's interrupted by a voice coming from the other room, revealed to be Calvin. Blackbird reveals that he knows Adam loves Calvin, and in this world, they ended up married. Blackbird leaves him by saying that this is a life he can live without fear, a life that is his own. Olivia walks through her door and ends up getting salty water in her face, and she's on the edge of a yacht. In the center of the deck is an easel, a rack of art supplies, and a half-finished painting. Blackbird appears, saying that this is her boat, and she has nothing to worry about in this world except the easel and the sea. She's not convinced enough by this, and a muscular man comes up on deck from below, whom Olivia seems to recognize as someone named Tevin. Blackbird has been watching Olivia for some time, and knows that Tevin is a former lover, and an anomalous artist himself, and in her world, she accidentally killed him during a Foundation raid. In this world, there was no accident, and she can take this boat anywhere she wants with him, living a worry-free life. 
Calvin steps into a grassy field surrounded by woods, recognizing it as a place near the lake where he lost his mother. He and Blackbird watch as a young Calvin walks with his mother near the lake, and bodies begin to appear, causing Calvin's mother to step towards the water. Blackbird says that the reason Calvin didn't save his mother was because he was a scared boy, but now he has the chance. He's shocked, however, when the young Calvin turns to look at them, and then looks to the tree line, where a figure is standing, holding a tube. Blackbird recoils as adult Calvin approaches and takes the tube from the figure. He opens it and a pair of glasses tumble out with the name A. Bright inlaid, Adam Bright. Blackbird cries out, asking why the figure would throw all of their endeavors to waste, saying that at least he tried to fix the problem. Calvin realizes that Blackbird was trying to show them each their ideal worlds and asks why he wouldn't be satisfied by this one. Blackbird says that the other two wanted things that can be reasonably achieved, but all Calvin wants to do is kill the Foundation, all because of this moment. Despite being given the choice to change his life for the better, Calvin is still choosing violence. He puts on the glasses that the figure gave him, and sees that Blackbird is, in actuality, a horrific bird creature covered in rotting flesh, with a swirling mass of faces howling from inside of it. Calvin says that his mother died long ago because of monstrosities like Blackbird, and Blackbird finally decides to leave this reality. The figure tells Calvin to turn the tube over, and two more objects pop out. One is a fishing rod with the words... Dr. Wondertainment's interdimensional line and lure emblazoned on the side. And the other is a wiffle ball bat with the words Bird Be Gone by Dado written on it. Dr. Wondertainment you should be familiar with, but Dado is a somewhat comical and mysterious individual responsible for creating a handful of SCPs. Calvin uses the rod to snag Blackbird, pulling both of them to a different location, a wrecked cargo ship, SCP-455, and Calvin proceeds to begin beating Blackbird with the bat. Blackbird flees through different realities and different locations as Calvin follows him. They visit a Foundation site as a doctor, Dr. Kondraki, rides SCP-6A2 through a lobby, as depicted in the tale, Duke Till Dawn and they visit the dead world of SCP-2935, as well as several others. In each place, Calvin begins to notice a young girl, holding up her hand and counting down with her fingers. Finally, the girl reaches her hand out to Calvin, and he grabs it, causing the three of them to land at the base of a large shaft, with a massive machine near them exerting great pressure on them. Blackbird recognizes the young girl as Allison, the Black Queen, and demands to know what she's doing here. She tells him that she's done working with him, as what he's been doing is too unnatural. He replies that it doesn't matter, as she can't stop him. She says that he can, and powers down the machine, revealing the entity from part three. Calvin charges at Blackbird with a bat, beating him closer to the entity. 
the entity asks Blackbird if he's an overseer, to which, of course, he responds yes, demanding to be released. Blackbird seems to have no knowledge of this entity, and it says that he has committed immeasurable crimes. Blackbird cries out that the only thing he's done is offer a way out. The entity says that this is the only way out, and wipes Blackbird from existence. Allison turns the machine back on, and tells Calvin that she had been searching for this entity for years, and this is the only reality where it exists. She wanted to undo the damage that Blackbird had done, as she doesn't think he was evil, but he just never did anything about the injustices he witnessed. In this reality, the entity had killed everybody in the world except for itself, and Allison sticks around just to keep the machine running. Calvin asks if she knows what Blackbird showed Olivia and Adam, but Allison just says that taking them from where they are now would be a cruelty. Next, we see Calvin, Olivia, and Adam together on the tarmac of a small airport. Another member of Delta Command arrives and sees that they all look rough, Olivia and Adam shaken, and Calvin injured from his encounter. It seems Calvin had pulled them out, despite Allison's comment. They board a plane and head off. Nine down, four to go. Elsewhere, Siegel is at a Foundation facility, descending down an elevator shaft until reaching a shallow pool of red liquid, and four figures lying in it. He enters a command, and the figures are raised out of the liquid, and he informs them that there are three insurgency agents that have gotten their hands on some powerful artifacts. They have killed seven overseers, and the ambassador has gone missing, their next likely target. He tells them to find them, bring them back alive if possible, and bring back the spear and the journal. He speaks to a screen with an ominous symbol on it, telling it to show them where they can be found. He finishes by telling the figures to be his red right hand, referring to them as Irantu, Munru, Nanku, and Anru. You might know them better as MTF Tau 5, Samsara. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. 054, the ambassador, is probably the least involved of the overseers in the Foundation's secretive efforts. Born in Iran before emigrating to France... He became a French actor of some acclaim before joining the Foundation, although those activities have since been expunged. He's said to be anomalously charismatic, but Agent Yu says there's no evidence to prove that. He acts as the frontman for the Foundation's PR efforts, anytime they need a public face for speaking to various governments or corporations. Sources indicate he was responsible for drawing American attention away from Mexico during the Broken God incident, but overall he tends to maintain as little responsibility within the Foundation as possible. 
In the flashback, the Overseers are sitting around a table discussing the Spear of the Non-Believer, which they have finally recovered thanks to 059. In the tomb where they found it, there had been some books written in the Davite language, probably by Davite captives. The text implies that the Spear possibly predates even the Davites, and it was considered a legendary weapon even to them. The Overseers discuss the concept of killing a god using a weapon, with 0513, death, assuring them that it is indeed possible. 059 recounts a myth, saying that when God first smote Lucifer, a shard of his crown fell to the earth, where it was found by Cain. Cain then used that shard to kill his brother, not a rock, and then used his bones to create the spear. They move on to discussing where to keep the spear, as their current location won't do. A phone rings, and Siegel picks it up, speaking in hushed tones before hanging up. He then says that Sophia will take it away, out of time, and he hands the spear to her. She flickers before disappearing, and the overseers suddenly realize that the spear was never there at all. In the present, Calvin's team is on a plane, watching a television as a newsreel states that French billionaire Jean Bertrand, the ambassador, cancels an appearance at a festival due to security concerns. They hear then from another member of Delta Command that the ambassador cancelled his appearance because he called them and asked to have a meeting to discuss terms. Apparently, he intends to surrender as he sees the light at the end of the tunnel. It seems like a trap, but he says he's willing to stand trial, he just doesn't want to die. He's willing to resign and give some information, including the location of the all-seen eye, which we'll understand more about soon. The member of Delta Command he spoke to, Priscilla, plans to meet him tonight and bring him back to Delta Command for further questioning. After finding out where they're meeting, the Delta member with Calvin's team, Sloan, says that Priscilla is in over her head, as the ambassador is notoriously anomalously charismatic, and he wants to go with Calvin to the meeting. Adam and Olivia are still not in great shape, so they are going to get sent back to Delta. The group arrives in Johannesburg, South Africa, and they see a plane that they identify as Foundation-owned. They meet up with a few other insurgency agents and head into the airport to find Priscilla sitting in a meeting room with the ambassador. Priscilla is extremely angry to see Sloane, but he introduces himself to the ambassador, who Calvin notes is unusually handsome, with a laugh like music and falling water. Sloane also introduces him to Calvin, whom the ambassador seems to be wary around, but shakes his hand. The ambassador says that Calvin's actions have destabilized the Foundation, and he values his own longevity over any ideology. He also says that he possesses an acute ability to read people, even large groups, but there is something massive moving within the Foundation, something very powerful, growing stronger every day. Calvin presumes it to be Siegel, and the ambassador says that that is most likely, and he is not eager to stand between this power and its goal, preferring to see it snuffed out. He knows the location of Overwatch Command, 
the location of many Foundation black sites, practical knowledge about the Foundation, and is willing to assist the insurgency in cleaning up their mess after it's over. They are suddenly interrupted by shouting in the distance, and the sound of bullets coming from powerful automatic weapons. They begin fleeing the meeting room, dragging the ambassador with them, and the airport is now fully evacuating. An explosion erupts from the airport, and Calvin turns to see four figures emerging from the smoke. Humans, but otherworldly, covered in heavy armor and carrying heavy weapons. They begin sprinting towards Calvin, opening fire on him. Calvin ducks for cover as insurgency agents intercept Samsara. As Calvin continues running, he witnesses Samsara decimating the insurgency agents, one of them lifting an agent up and putting her flamethrower to his face, and another tearing a steel support pillar out of a wall and skewering two agents with it. Another Samsara member takes aim with a rifle and removes Priscilla's head. Sloane, Calvin, and the Ambassador continue fleeing as they make it out onto the tarmac. Sloane is killed by a hail of gunfire, and Calvin attempts to urge on the Ambassador, who is now curled into a fetal position on the ground. Suddenly, speakers around the airport crackle into life, and a childlike, unnatural voice comes out of them, saying, I ran to, not the insurgent, bring me the insurgent. Kill the traitor. The voice continues to speak the word traitor as Irantu lands near the ambassador after a jump from three stories up. The ambassador attempts to flee again, but Irantu shatters one of his legs with a stomp. Irantu then lifts him by his hair and slaughters him with a hatchet, finished by tearing his skull in half. Sloane's plane, which was carrying Olivia and Adam, takes off but is quickly shot down by one of the Samsara members. Calvin watches in horror before Irantu slams a closed fist into his face, and he blacks out. Ten down, three to go. 053 is known as The Kid, thanks to the single image connected to 053, featuring a very young Korean child. Despite this, very, very little is known about 053, and no one has ever actually seen them. They always appear through an avatar on screens, speaking with a digitally constructed voice. In the Foundation, 053 is known as the All-Seen Eye, commonly believed to be sitting at the center of the Foundation's intelligence network. The Foundation seems to have a nearly limitless amount of intel on anomalous entities and groups, information that shouldn't be obtainable by natural means. Agent Yu writes that he has seen Foundation agents lurking around the sites of anomalous activity before anything has happened, and has seen agents working to supplant world leaders prior to massive unrest that they could not have possibly predicted, thanks to the all-seen eye. Agent Yu writes that a decade ago, a town in the northwest United States had been having energy issues shortly after the construction of a hydroelectric dam that should have helped alleviate those issues. Ever since then, heat signatures near that dam have been significantly high, coming deep from within the structure. Agent Yu also cautions that the all-seen eye will be protected by a new team of Terminators that are not entirely human. A little late, unfortunately. 
In a flashback, we see Siegel entering an infirmary, where Sophia, 052, is laying on a hospital bed, near dead. Green says that she is dying because she was hung up with silk nails, making her cursed. Siegel recounts the time when Sophia first told him what she could do, dancing through time, as she called it. Then one day she disappeared, and when she returned, her wrists were punched through with dark iron nails, and her side had been skewered. 0513 had warned them that the nails were old and dangerous, and something would end up happening to her blood. The overseers could protect themselves from diseases, but curses were something quite different. Blackbird had prescribed some treatments, but her condition was still worsening, as he could only delay the inevitable. He says that those nails were not designed for someone who survived a crucifixion. Now she has only hours to live, days at most. Blackbird reminds Siegel that a certain contract could protect Sophia, but Siegel is hesitant. He wonders if the others have made Sophia's condition worse just to bring him to this decision point, and he hesitates because Sophia had been against the contract. He finally makes his decision and summons the Avatar of Death, signing the contract, and signs for Sophia as well, before the other eleven overseers sign. Death disappears with a mocking laughter, and Sophia wakes up, expressing her disappointment sadness to Siegel. In the present, Calvin awakes in a small room with a screen next to the door. The screen displays a rotating foundation symbol with a red dot in the center, and the speaker crackles to life, speaking in a voice similar to a child's, but more like something approximating what a child sounds like. The voice says that it has brought Calvin to where it lives, along with his friends. It assures Calvin that it didn't kill his friends, unlike him killing the voice's friends. Calvin asks who it is, and music begins playing from the speaker, a distorted mashup of pop music, and at the end he hears a recorded conversation between him and Anthony from months ago. He hears himself say that 051 and 052 are holed up in Site 01, but the kids' whereabouts are unknown. Calvin now knows he's speaking to the kid, who says that he knows that Calvin wants to kill him, along with his mother and father, and he doesn't want him to do that. He also refers to 057 as Mrs. Green, and that she said people that kill, like him, are evil. The screen goes dark, and the door to the room unlocks. Calvin steps outside into a long, dark hallway, and begins walking towards a light, The voice comes back, telling Calvin that he knows who he is, where he was born, where he grew up, how many breaths he's taken in his life, and how many times he's blinked. Before the kid was born, there was another 053, named Anderson, who built impossible machines. His greatest creation was SCP-2003, a machine that could see the future, but Anderson had no passion for it instead focusing on his thinking machines, so he left the council. Mrs. Green suggested that since the accountant and Blackbird can see the general shape of the future, 
Why not make a machine that can see everything instead? Calvin continues down the hallway, reaching an elevator as lights turn on, illuminating thousands of cylindrical tanks full of green liquid and holding humanoid shapes. The kid continues, saying that the stress of using that machine proved to be too much for people to handle, and they needed a pure, perfect, clean mind with no distractions. The kid was going to be sacrificed as part of the ritual for SCP-2845, the deer, but they instead hooked him up to the all-seen eye, and ever since then, he's been watching. Calvin descends in the elevator, as the kid tells him he knows that Calvin was recruited into the insurgency because the military discharged him for drunk driving and killing a woman. He is telling him this because he knows that Calvin believes he's on a righteous mission, just as Vincent Arians believed it, but only a pure mind should decide the fate of the world. He says that Calvin is waging an ideological war based on one study conducted by a disgraced former Foundation researcher with questionable results collected from dubious sources. He's been told several times that his path is founded not in reason, but in hate and ignorance. Yet he continues, and because of that, he is dangerous. Calvin enters the base of a massive shaft, and in the center is a cylindrical machine, with a screen bearing the same logo as before on its side. A platform descends, carrying Olivia and Adam, both bound. He steps towards them, but then sees Samsara as well, one of them pointing a rifle at him. The kid sentences the three of them to death for their crimes, and orders Irantu to execute them. As Irantu moves towards Calvin, he stops, as they both see a shimmering line in their air between them. The line opens up, revealing Allison, who is holding the Dr. Wondertainment fishing rod. She tells Calvin good luck and hands him the rod. He proceeds to cast it into the air, catching something unseen and pulling it into this reality. A blast of intense heat, followed by cold, filled the room, and the Samsara member with the rifle took a shot at Calvin, but the bullet was stopped by a gruesome white hand. Emerging from a gap in the air was a horrific entity, vaguely humanoid with many legs, arms, and hands. In place of its head is a wide, flat disc adorned with flaming glyphs. One of the Samsara members swears, as they realize it's a familiar entity, one they fought before inside SCP-1730. Samsara becomes embroiled in a gruesome fight with the entity, and Calvin rushes over to free Olivia and Adam. As members of Samsara start dying, they are quickly brought back as the numerous tanks in the area hold copies of their bodies. The team realizes that Samsara is drawing the entity away from the cylindrical machine in the center, and they decide to break into it. By this point, Foundation drones have emerged from the walls to help combat the entity, as well as keep the team away from the machine. Olivia uses her anomalous abilities and some paint to take out some of the drones and to create a shield as they move towards the machine. Adam begins hacking into a panel on the side of the machine, and Olivia begins working on a way to deal with all the tanks containing Samsara bodies, 
she pulls out more paint and a paper circle, painting an intricate design on it before tossing it near the tanks. The air in the shaft gets sucked out of it as the disc becomes a portal into outer space. The drones, the pool of liquid containing the tanks, and one of Samsara get pulled into it before the entity approaches it and manages to pull the portal shut. It then begins tearing apart the rest of the tanks before killing the remaining three Samsara members. The entity then spasms briefly before disappearing. The kid's voice returns, saying that he has had enough, no more tricks, and no more monsters. Calvin hears something spooling up, turning around to see a gun barrel extending from a wall, and doesn't have time to stop it as it fires a single bullet. Calvin looks towards Olivia as the bullet passes through the back of her skull and out between her eyes. Calvin screams and grabs the spear of the non-believer out of Adam's backpack, jamming it into the panel and through the machine. Another gun barrel appears, and Calvin is again too slow to stop it, as it fires a bullet into Adam's spine. Adam collapses, but Calvin continues prying into the machine with a frenzy, eventually exposing the innards. Inside, in a glass tank, was a small, disfigured baby, its eye sockets filled with white pus, its mouth and ears sewn shut, a foundation symbol tattooed on its forehead, attached by wires and hoses to the machine. A horrible screeching sound erupts from the machine's speakers, and Calvin uses the spear to smash the glass tank open. As laughter begins spilling from the speakers, Calvin, filled with rage, throttles the disfigured baby with his bare hands until all that remains is a puddle of organs. He then turns to Adam, who can no longer feel his legs, and he picks up both Adam and Olivia's body. As he carries them out, he realizes the facility is flooding, and with the last of his energy, he makes it out onto the side of a hill. Adam nears death, and Calvin begins crying, before pulling out a vial of fountain water. Adam protests, his mouth full of blood, but Calvin insists he's not going to lose him too, and pours the water down his throat. Adam instantly recovers, coughs up some blood, and pulls the bullet from his back. Calvin activates an insurgency transponder, and tells Adam that it's time for him to finish it. Adam begs and pleads with Calvin not to go, admitting that he loves him, but Calvin simply picks up Olivia's body and begins walking away. Elsewhere, Seiko receives word from an AI that 053 is dead, and also learns that the spear of the non-believer was taken out of Foundation custody an indeterminate time ago, likely by 052, Sophia. Siegel had given her the same administrative access that he himself held, allowing her to remove all records of its removal. The AI informs him that she was last seen entering the garden, and Siegel grabs his coat, telling the AI to prepare his plane, as it's time to go home. Eleven down, two to go, but now Calvin seems to be alone, outnumbered, and desperate. We've already heard some things about 052, known as 
the Nazarene. But overall, there's very little information on her, without even a journal entry from Agent Yu. Early Foundation documents put her as the head of the Department of Morality, but it doesn't appear if she ever served in that role. One source indicates her name comes from the fact that she's never seen without gloves, as it's said she's hiding scars from her crucifixion as Jesus of Nazareth, although where that rumor came from is unknown. No flashbacks anymore, as Siegel races towards the entrance to the garden, facing down its guardian, an unmoving, angelic entity holding a flaming sword. Siegel screams for it to step aside, but the Guardian only raises its sword and lets loose a streak of flame towards 051. Siegel manages to roll out of the way and pulls out a thin metal rod, slamming it into the ground. This is a reality anchor, apparently a pretty unique one, as it manages to completely pacify the Gate Guardian, turning it into little more than a charred skeleton. Unfortunately, it also affected Siegel himself, as he had been influenced by anomalies as well, so he begins turning into a very, very old man. He manages to move far enough to escape the reality anchor's effect, returning him to his younger form as he enters the garden. The garden is an anomalous space, of course, endlessly large, but anyone within it is never far from wherever they want to be. Siegel soon finds himself at the Tree of Life Everlasting, a tree similar to the Tree of Life in the Wanderer's Library. At the base of the tree is the corpse of Sophia Light, 052, her wrists slit open. Siegel drops to his knees next to her and cries out to death to take him instead. His only answer is the continual fall of rain. He sits next to her for hours before realizing there is a piece of paper in her hand. The note is addressed to him, and she explains that she no longer recognizes who she is, and can't continue. She was the one who gave Calvin the fountain water and the spear, as she saw his path and how it led towards Siegel. She hoped that Calvin's crusade would break Siegel's convictions, and he would return to how Sophia used to know him. There is nothing standing between him and his convictions now, however, and although she hopes that he'll take the chance to walk away and live a normal life, she knows it changes nothing. He will face Calvin, but she hopes that she'll see him again, perhaps waiting on that distant shore. Siegel balls up the note in anger and begins walking across the garden into a much darker, more desolate section. He comes to an impact crater a mile across, and steps down into it, tears flooding down his face. At the epicenter of the crater, he finds the crumpled form of an angel where it had been resting for 10,000 years, and on its helm the words, Star of the Morning. This is Lucifer, and Siegel picks up his golden sword, radiating with heat and power, and he suddenly disappears. Twelve down, one to go. Calvin is reading the journal, which says that Site 01 is located beneath a mountain, guarded by the red right hand, accessible only by the overseers. 
he believes that the final two overseers can be located here, and finishes by writing that he will enjoy the distance he has put between the overseers and himself. To do otherwise would no doubt bring upon yourself a devastating end. Yours most truthfully, Ukulele. You probably know Agent Ukulele better as Dr. Clef. Calvin was sitting on the side of a mountain, looking across to the entrance of Site-01. He had destroyed his phone to avoid distractions from the insurgency, and left Olivia's body in a cave nearby, promising to come back for her. Leaving the journal and grabbing the spear, he approached the steel doors at the entrance to the site, seeing nor hearing a soul. He pushed against one of the doors, which effortlessly swung open. Stepping into the site, Calvin sees that he's in a massive chamber, surrounded by tunnels and staircases, with an elevator in the center requiring a key to activate. On the far end of the chamber is a heavy wooden door, with its frame covered in images. The images depict a race of humanoids riding giant tree creatures, SCP-1000, a massive machine laying dormant beneath the earth, SCP-2000, dark and empty eyes, SCP-3000, and the faces of animals without names, SCP-4000, along with many others. In the doorway, however, was a man, easily two meters tall and wrapped in metallic plates. Wires and tubes ran across the plates, and at first Calvin wasn't sure it was a man at all, but there were human eyes behind his helmet. The man introduces himself as Purpose, the red right hand, the will of the Foundation. Calvin senses something very familiar about the man, and asks if he knows him. The man says, to know him is to know the Foundation. His words are its words, and his voice are its voice. Calvin remembers a dashing young Foundation agent named Lament, and asks him, what now? The man has been tasked with protecting this sanctum until 051 returns, but then says that he is here, and steps aside. As Calvin passes the man, he asks if anyone else will be joining them, and then says to make sure no one does, which the man replies with, as you wish. Calvin passes through a dark tunnel, into a room filled with screens showing camera footage of a multitude of Foundation facilities. A large screen on the wall lights up and begins showing moments from Calvin's life, being sent to a youth detention facility, joining the military, being approached by the insurgency, his first meeting with Anthony, with Olivia, with Adam, and scenes of the events we've recently seen. Calvin begins experiencing a sickly feeling, seeing himself not pushing forward through these events, but instead being pulled along by a string. The end of the string is in this room, where Siegel is sitting in front of the screen. Calvin asks him to confirm if he's 051, and then asks about 052, to which Siegel doesn't respond. Calvin opens fire on Siegel but the bullets dissolve before reaching him, so he pulls out the spear instead. Siegel begins laughing, 
saying that Calvin traveled across a lifetime just to get here so he could kill him with a spear, and he doesn't even know why he is here. Calvin repeats his goal of killing the overseers so that the Foundation dies and the universe can begin to heal. Siegel stands up and says that the two are alike, both spurred forward by conviction, and both led to this spot. In a trillion worlds and a billion universes, they would both always find each other here, as two unstoppable forces hurtling towards each other. He pulls out the golden, flaming sword, and says that either Calvin's convictions will be broken today, or his own. The two commence a duel, each bearing a legendary weapon beyond the understanding of mortals. I'll spare the details of summarizing a fight scene, but each combatant gets some nicks on the other, and the room begins to melt from the fire of Siegel's sword. Siegel says that Calvin is an incredible testament to the will of the insurgency, and a younger version of him would have been envious. When he was younger, he made costly mistakes, believing that those mistakes happened because his resolve wasn't strong enough. But now, Calvin's resolve is every bit as strong, and here he is, making the same mistakes. Calvin replies that he is nothing like Siegel, as Siegel engineered the insurgency and then betrayed it. Siegel informs him that he was never the engineer. Vincent Arians was, and Arians wrote the Summa Modus Operandi. He betrayed the insurgency because a moment came where he had to balance his ideals against something horrible, and his ideals were not strong enough. He's going to kill Calvin because he's worried that Calvin's will is stronger than his was, and Calvin will stand where he did many years ago. The fight continues, but soon Calvin uses the spear to shatter the golden sword, skewering Siegel. The fire in the room goes out, and Calvin approaches the dying Siegel, telling him that the world can begin to heal again now. Siegel says that he thought the same thing, but he was wrong, and he's sorry that Arians died thinking he had been betrayed. The cancer isn't the overseers, or the administrator. It's the foundation itself. Calvin tells him he's going downstairs to finish things, as this is the way it ends. But Siegel says that it's not. Calvin turns to go activate the nuclear devices located at each foundation facility, and Siegel dies. Calvin approaches the man named Purpose again, and asks him to take him to the room where he can unmake the foundation. Purpose inserts a key into the elevator, but places a hand on Calvin's shoulder, telling him that once he goes down, there is no going back, and the decision made cannot be unmade. Calvin nods and descends. At the bottom, Calvin enters a well-furnished room with a window outlooking the mountain range. A number of screens are on, showing the deaths of various overseers at Calvin's hands. On a rich wooden desk in the center is the foundation terminal and a black metal rotary phone. Calvin logs into the terminal using both an iris scanner and a fingerprint scanner. The screens then change to show a number of different foundation sites, and on the main monitor a single option appears. Terminate. As Calvin is about to confirm the order, the phone on the desk rings. On the fifth ring, 
something instinctual inside of him picks up the call and says hello. A man's voice comes over the phone, sounding both far away and close, and the man congratulates Calvin on his initiative, telling him that he is the man that Calvin has been trying to kill, the administrator. A primal fear begins growing in Calvin, and he says that that's not possible, since Siegel killed the administrator. The voice chuckles, and says that Siegel killed a man named Frederick Williams, a man who was just tugging upon frayed strings, unraveling the universe. Frederick Williams had planted a seed that grew into the foundation, and although he died, the seed did not. The administrator is a signature on a document, a suit in a boardroom, a voice on the phone. The administrator exists because of the foundation, and the foundation exists because of him. In short, the administrator is a conscious anomaly created by Frederick Williams when he began tugging on the strings of the universe, and to know its nature is to know the nature of the foundation. Siegel had rejoined the foundation not because he got a better deal, but because he wanted to finish the job and destroy the foundation by destroying the administrator. Calvin came along and killed Siegel, the only man standing between the administrator and all of creation. But then he picked up the phone at the desk, because someone always picks up the phone. The administrator says that Calvin could walk away, or even hit that button, causing billions to die from the aftermath, but the administrator would still be here. The administrator is the consciousness of the foundation, the cancer, as Calvin would put it, and now there is no one to stop his spread. Calvin says that the overseers were evil, but the administrator says that Calvin's belief that he's been in the moral right is his greatest failing. There were a few bad overseers, but most of them were just flawed individuals trying to do an impossible job. But Calvin only considered them to be evil, and justified their murders that way. According to the administrator, there is no good, and there is no evil. It says that perhaps Calvin will find a way to kill it, even though Siegel couldn't, and sometimes, if he tries very hard, Calvin might convince himself he's doing the right thing. The administrator finishes the call by telling him to cheer up, as their work is only just beginning. Calvin sees a memory in his mind of when Siegel was sitting in his position, holding the phone and looking at Vincent Arians, who was pointing a gun at him and Sophia. Arians begs Siegel to leave with him and to leave behind Sophia, who brought them here. Siegel is speechless as he contemplates what the administrator just told him, and he finally tells Arians that he can't. Arians leaves in a rage, unable to kill Siegel and unaware of what Siegel had learned. The memory fades, and Calvin finds himself sitting alone at the desk as the phone begins to ring. On the seventh ring, Calvin picks it up. In the epilogue, we get another list of files for the 13 overseers, but the first 12 are blank, only reading the word vacant. The file for 051 gives the name The Usurper, formerly Calvin Lucian. 
Much later, Calvin meets with a new Foundation site director, who is pleased to host the Overseers at Site 108. All of the other Overseers have already arrived, except for 052. Calvin enters the site, and meets with a response team responsible for overseeing the aftermath of a plane crash, resulting in 11 deaths and the theft of a few anomalies. The Chaos Insurgency is claiming responsibility for the crash, by posting a video on a website called The Knights of Truth. Calvin clears the room, and sits down to watch it. In the video, a man appears sitting at a table. Adam, now a muscular, hardened man, with an ornate jar placed in front of him. Adam speaks to his brothers and sisters of the reborn insurgency, and how they have scored a great victory over those who would seek to undermine their reality. They have sent a clear message to the tyrants in their ivory tower, and their strength and influence is growing. Adam says that they will continue to sink their ships and derail their trains in order to undo their damage and make the world whole again. Adam smashes the jar, releasing green smoke into the air, and says that he knows Calvin is watching. The deaths the insurgency caused are Calvin's fault, and Calvin should not feel safe, as he has become his red right hand. He has seen the puppet that Calvin is parading around as an overseer, but it is not Olivia. He finishes by calling Calvin a coward and a traitor, and he will make him suffer, as he is vengeance and wrath. An hour later, Calvin meets with the other overseers, each newly appointed to their positions. Calvin goes down the list, appointing each overseer to different departments, and eventually reaches 052, Olivia, who is replacing the former 0513 as the head of the Department of Occult Studies. Calvin doesn't look to the figure on his right as he says this. That night, Calvin works on his computer, filing away the most recent insurgency video into an organized collection. He begins writing a text document, compiling all the papers, images, transcripts of conversations taken by the all-seen eye, and creates a single document that would tell the whole story. It's this document we've been reading this entire time, and he's creating it as a reminder to himself, and to whomever comes after him, of the work that needs to be done, that containment of 001 is the Foundation's highest priority. A figure enters his room, but he can't look at it, as he knows who it is. Calvin wonders how could he explain to the next usurper to make them understand. He had been wrong. It was never the Council or the Anomalies. It's the very essence of the Foundation itself. The Administrator is the goal of the Foundation personified to capture and contain Anomalies at any cost, and anyone trying to stop the Administrator gets caught up in continuing that goal. Perhaps there is a way to stop the Administrator, destroy the Foundation, and allow the world to heal. But as it currently stands, the Foundation is caught in a cycle. To know the nature of SCP-001 is to know the nature of the Foundation. Calvin closes his laptop and asks Olivia if she's ready for bed, but she sits unmoving, letting out a croaking sound as she calls his name. Calvin had made a deal with death 
to bring her back, but she had not been the same. She sits there unmoving all night, and Calvin does not sleep either. In the morning, she's gone, and Calvin sits at his desk as the phone begins to ring, as it had so many times before. And as he had so many times before, 051 answered. Obviously, the way it ends and the entire Ouroboros cycle is a very lengthy and polarizing story. At the end of the day, however, that's what it is. A story. While you can take the events here as canon within the Foundation universe, you certainly don't have to. Although there are plot holes, plot inconsistencies, contradictions with other canons, and a large helping of references and over-the-top action... It's truly rare to see a story within the Foundation universe of this scope and magnitude. DJ Cactus has contributed a lot to the SCP world, but he considers this to be his magnum opus, and it's hard to disagree. Throughout these videos, we've talked a lot about the ends justifying the means, and what that entails for different people, groups, and the world at large. Ultimately, though, To quote Dr. Manhattan, nothing ever ends.